Welcome to Fire Away, Rubner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator, and I'm your host of this season four, episode three of Fire Away. And as I was just noting, it's uh, the one year anniversary of the first show that we did from my home office. And uh, hopefully we won't have to do too many more before we'll have an option of going back. So just a reminder that Fireway streams line, live online every month. And if you missed an episode or want to watch one again, they are always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, on LinkedIn, and on our website. If you are watching live and you have any questions, we'd love to answer them. So you can either ask them by posting a comment on either Facebook or YouTube or by tweeting to at Law. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Matt Richardson. Matt has specialized training in open source intelligence and expertise in high technologies. His work includes internet and social media safety and security training, open source intelligence training, and investigative research. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for having me today, Stuart. It's a pleasure to join you. It's going to be a great discussion, and I have to let everyone know that uh, I first learned of Matt uh, at this year's HRPA annual conference when he did, did not one but two presentations, and uh, one was on Social Media Investigations 101, and one was on Precision Recruiting, uh, and I tuned into both, and then I've reviewed all of the materials, and Matt was great about providing a lot of resource materials. Uh, they were fantastic, and I consider myself to be pretty tech savvy, but Matt talked about search methods and things that you can do in order to uncover things about people such as candidates uh, that I never knew of. So I was pretty blown away and we've since connected and had some great discussions and I am very excited that uh, Matt's joining us today. We're gonna be talking about social media's role in HR processes, best practices, red flags, and, and the different ways that you can use social media in your practice um, and what you should and should not be doing and, and perhaps dispelling a few myths along the way. So Matt, let's, let's get right into this. And um, as, as I said, I, I would, I mean, I wanted to talk about one of the common objections that I get right off the top, because I've been talking about social media in HR and in particular in the hiring process for years now, this is not a new thing anymore, um, but I still consistently, I either get the question of, should we or can we? Uh, and for years I've been saying, yes, you can and you should. Um, but I still get the objections regularly that somehow people suggest that it's either illegal or unethical or somehow inappropriate for someone in a hiring context to be looking at candidates' social media. Uh, so as I said, for years I've been saying you should. Uh, I've gone further on many, many occasions and even said that if you don't look at someone's social media, uh, you're not really doing your job as effectively as you could be uh, because you're ignoring potentially relevant information. And yet to this day, I still get pushback on uh, probably a weekly basis. So um, when we first met, and I forget if you mentioned this story in your presentation or in a separate conversation, but in fact, you, you told a great story um, about what could have happened if you didn't do a proper social media search on a candidate before making an offer. So I'd love to start off with that. Well, certainly. And, and it was an eye opener for me. Um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, to do our full and proper and due diligence, the best thing for our employer, our reputations, very importantly, for the workplace culture, even the health and safety of, of, of staff, it's an essential step in the exercise. And here's why. I was hired to do a precision recruiting exercise to recruit two positions for a local IT company. And I had a list of qualifications and criteria, including certifications. 
And I went through and I boiled the list down to five candidates for each position. And the best candidate and the harder of the two to fill had all of the certifications. And he was the only one. He had the best academic credentials in his employment history that was viewable on LinkedIn, et cetera, showed long-term employment and progression, all things we want to see. But when I did that quick background check, I began to notice terminology that rung a bell with me, like Chad's and Stacy's. Um, Chad, Stacy's and Rebecca's or Becky's. And I did a quick Google and I realized that's terminology used by incels, which quickly that's involuntary, involuntary celibates. And these are men that hate women because they cannot meet a romantic partner and, and they're, uh, there's a lot of animosity and resentment. And if you look them up, uh, according to Canadian uh, security forces, they're the number one internal security threat in Canada are incels. So when I look through and I saw that I, I can't say for certain he is an insult, but he was certainly sympathetic to it. And he had a lot of posts about it. Now, when I see what happened, what could have happened there? Number one, if he'd been hired, reputation damage that got to the media. Number two, um, you might have had a lot of turnover. Number three, he could have acted violently toward a member of the staff. Yeah, and like it's a great story and, and, and true story, obviously. But I think it really demonstrates the risk. I mean, as you said, I mean, at the very least, if it ever came out that they employed this individual, reputational damage. But worst case scenario, he is violent and he assaults a colleague, a client, anybody in the workplace. And then it comes out that the employer didn't do their due diligence and could have found out about this, but did, chose not to. I mean, it certainly impacts the reputation even more and opens them up to, to potential liability. And then we all uh, we all know that employers have a duty to take all reasonable steps to provide a safe workplace. So argue, uh, arguably, by not doing that, by not taking that one step of doing the proper social media search, they could have brought uh, a dangerous person into the workplace and exposed all their colleagues to, to a risk. So that's a great story, and it really shows what could happen. And it's a great point because it is a reasonable step. We're talking about openly in public information, nothing private. There's, it's all open and public, meaning it's fair. And failing to look at what's out there and publicly available is a, a misstep for sure. Yeah, th thank you for saying that because I was about to make the same point. I and mean, this is information that is publicly available. And, and we're not talking about hacking into somebody's account. We're not talking about demanding. I mean, this is a few years old now, but we heard those stories about some American companies who insisted that job candidates turn over their Facebook credentials or log into Facebook right then and there in, in the interview room. Like we're not talking about anything like that. We're talking about information that is publicly available. Uh, do you find that you still have a lot of people saying that somehow, you know, when you're hiring someone, you shouldn't be looking at, the, at someone's social media? I, I do hear that. And I go back to, and I, I, I simply say, if it's posted publicly and open there, it can be no reasonable expectation of privacy because you've waived that when you've made it out there for 4 billion internet users to see it. Mm -hmm. And what, one analogy I use, we can all relate to. If we were at the conference, the HRPA together, Stuart, in person, and you, oh, you were thinking about hiring me to do some training for your, your firm, and you overheard me speaking to a fellow attendee in vulgar, distasteful ways, are you allowed to change your mind about bringing me into your workplace and hiring me? And the answer is, of course. This is no different. If anything, if I say something in a room with attendees, 30 people might hear it. When I say it online, 4 billion hear it. Yeah, I think, look, obviously uh, you're preaching to the choir here, but I think that's, that's, that's the point. But I still have people who insist that either it's illegal or there's privacy rights that you're breaching 
etc. Or I'll have people grudgingly agree that they will check someone out on LinkedIn because that's quote unquote professional, um, but they won't go the next step and check them out on Facebook, Instagram, or or any other platform. So you know, I think you and I are saying the same thing. It's publicly available, it's fair game, and, and more than that, it's something you should be looking at before you make your decision. And, and there are plenty of Canadian and American and, and frankly precedents across the world from logistics firms to post-secondary institutions to professional white collar firms that have fired people for activity on social media, even if it was off company time. Uh, that's a great point. And, and I guess I'll, uh, there's so many things I want to get to, but I think uh, one of the things that fascinated me the most about your presentation was all of the interesting search techniques that you use and precision recruiting, as you call it. Uh, I don't know, you, you mentioned using it's Carrot 2 as a search engine as opposed to Google, which of course we all default to Google. Uh, but maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, some of the, the techniques that you recommend people consider. Well, certainly, and, and there's quite a few, but to keep it simple, where Google, uh, if you put in, let's say my name in internet safety, something I'm known for, or HRPA, you will get way more hits than are really about me to the tune of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And I'm not that famous, at least yet. Maybe this will help today, Stuart. Thank you. Um, um, this, this could be your launch to start them right here. <laughs> now, what I love about Carrot, it, first of all, it's free. It doesn't require a, uh, an account. Uh, it's just a web-based search tool like Google. But when you search for somebody with like their town, um, their employer, um, keywords that they're known for, it groups them into categories. So you might get 30 or 40 results instead of you know, even a few hundreds a lot. Further, if you click, there's a little tab, you can get a pie chart, which gives the, um, the HR professional a visual look, a high level bird's eye view of a person's entire online identity in one shot. And it makes a beauty screenshot if you want to document your search. Yeah, and for anybody who's watching, I mean, just you know, go to, it's carrots too. Uh, and then just search your, your own name. It's fascinating to see how you, how you were categorized because it does put in categories, like you said. Um, carrots2.org. So yeah, so that's one great tool that most people aren't aware of because we all tend to default to Google. Um, anything else that you would say is uh, things people should be considering in their searches? Uh, two quick things. One, another one I use, uh, and there, again, that's a, there's a lot I could go over, but one of my bread and butter is what's my name.app. Again, it's free. It's not really an app, it's a website. You put in usernames or potential usernames, and it searches 250 some odd sources like when i put my name in it found my samsung account it, uh, like playstation network for my kid um i look people up in that and i use known or possible usernames to see what accounts they might hold and the other point very important I, Stuart, i always like to make is try carrot two and try google doing it a little better try the what's my name app with your own stuff because i do a monthly cyber hygiene check i call it and all of us out there should actually not just look up candidates Put yourself under the lens and see what might be out there about you you might be surprised that's, that's actually a great point and I, for, for many years i struggled to fill up my my google search results because what used to come up in the top five when you search my name was my penalty minutes for minor hockey uh, and that stuck around for years and years and years now i've i've written and done enough i guess that it's uh, buried that people don't find it but that's a great concept uh, especially if you are going to be looking for work uh, you want to make sure that uh, you know what's out there before you start applying, because hopefully people are going to look you up online and you want to know what they're going to find before they find it. That And be ready to explain it if it's something you think merits it as well. Um, so that, that's a great point too. You go in prepared and I do that with myself a, roughly once a month. It's, it's a good piece of diligence. One example is a friend of mine 
a person with the same name had a nasty criminal offense and it wasn't the same guy. But he knew that when he went in, he was ready. If they asked him, he could easily explain this as a different individual altogether. Right. Yeah, that's a good example. And another point that I, I often make, uh, you know, the fact that you are often hired to do these searches is really important because one point we always make is, uh, I always say this in the hiring context, you don't want to know any more than you have to, uh, than you have to, because there is a risk of a human rights claim. And I'll give you, you know, I'll give our viewers some scenarios. So let's say you're considering hiring someone and you go onto their Facebook page and you see that they are trying to have children or undergoing chemotherapy uh, or anything that could touch upon a potential human rights ground. And then let's assume that you go ahead and you hire someone else for perfectly legitimate reasons. But it's very easy for someone to make that allegation and say, well, wait a minute, I know that he found that I was trying to have kids. So he probably discriminated against me on that basis or because he knew I had cancer. Um, so the easiest way to avoid that is to have a third party do the search. And we, I always coach our clients, whether it's somebody else internally or someone like you externally, get someone else to, to do the search, and then you can report back anything that is relevant, um, but filter out all of that irrelevant information. So if the hiring person is ever cross-examined, they can very credibly say, I had no idea this person was trying to have kids or undergoing chemo. I never saw that. So obviously it was not part of my decision-making process. Yes, absolutely. One, uh, one area or one way I've gotten around that myself. So when I've been hired to come in, and, and that's something that comes up and, and it's reasonable that that's a good argument. What I've done and I've recommended my clients have typically had me do is I simply do the search and I do it professionally. Some people you hire might just go and look at a Facebook and a LinkedIn and Google and go, here's, you know, here's what I think. But I do a thorough one. I do it professionally. I check the boxes. I provide a, a professional report. The other thing would be, Stuart, if I was doing an exercise for you for recruiting for your firm, I'll get back to you with my recommendations on a matrix. And I won't name Matt Richardson as one of the candidates. I'll say um, option A, B, C, and D. And here's why, and here's who I recommend. And then the committee or the individual picks based on merit, based on the expert that they've hired. And yeah, they're two towns removed from finding everything. They only get what's relevant to the employment. So there's really a, a two-factor protection mode in doing that. It's a great idea. Again, I mean, there's, we all have our unconscious biases and even seeing people's names might be a fact. So that's that's a great concept. And again, I mean, ultimately, whoever is doing a hiring, you know, they are the ones who can become, you know, the, the primary witness in a human rights claim or other claims. So they want to be able to very honestly say that they were not aware of those factors and that obviously decisions were not made based upon those factors. Um, and, and the corollary to that is, you know, what I always tell our clients, if you can record even just a a handwritten scribble on a resume, record your reasons for either not offering someone a job or offering them a job. Because as we all know, litigation takes a long time. So you're probably gonna be talking about this six months, a year or two years down the road. You're not gonna remember that candidate that you didn't even bother making an offer to. But if you have a note that says, you know, doesn't have the required degree or not sufficient um, experience, whatever the case may be, you know, it's, it's even, you know, it's great to be able to say that Protected ground was not a factor. It's even better to say, and here's here's what the factors were and why we didn't make them the offer. Uh, so, and that comes back to you again, because you're doing all these searches. You can make your recommendations with perhaps some explanation as to why. Yeah, and, and what I'm able to do if I'm doing it or, or a third party um, is I'm able to omit the, um, the elements of a person's life that really aren't a part of the hiring equation 
and focus on those objective pieces which matter as aligned with the job description and the criteria, the, the matrix the employer might have about how they weight certain pieces. And I, I, you're able to get removed from it. If you ever did get called to testify or you were, you were called to court on that, it's a nice and clean answer to say, we follow the advice of the expert. We got this matrix. We didn't know the name of the person we picked based on merit, based on the recommendations. And we had only employment relevant and related info. Yeah, that's, that's the perfect way to do it. So shifting gears now, we talked a lot about hiring. I did want to take a little bit of time to talk about current employees and issues you might have with existing employees. And you know, we've seen, and this is one of my favorite parts of my job, is looking at how employees get themselves into trouble online uh, and dumb things that people post. Um, so I guess I obviously wanted to get your thoughts as to what uh, employers, what HR should be doing to protect themselves when it comes to potential employee misconduct? Well, there's there are firms that have people that monitor employee social media conduct and, and things of that nature. It especially becomes relevant when people are vying for promotions or advancement in the company, especially if that means they might be in charge of or have reports or sensitive information. And that's fair game too, because it's again, it's all open and you should know those um, that information to make an informed choice on it. Uh, the other, uh, and it's a very important point, and this is a very much a COVID timely matter, is we are working from home in unprecedented numbers and bullying hasn't left. And workplace harassment and threats of violence haven't left, but they have transitioned less of the in-person and more to the cyber realm, the online, the virtual. So if we aren't doing our diligence and keeping an eye on it, or if we get reports from employees that somebody did anything, we're not following up and looking at what's out there we're missing opportunities to take action and, and, uh, and do right and do good by our staff. Yeah, that's a really important point. And it, and it comes back to the, the first point you made, which is reputation. A lot of these cases, you've got people saying things online that are not you know, necessarily in any way related to their job or in any way related to their employer. But if it can be tied to their employer and they've made a, a misogynistic comment or a homophobic comment or anything like that, and it can come back and this person works for ABC company, ABC companies now got a PR issue uh, and you want to be aware of that and, and deal with that for sure. And it's a big expensive one. And there's lots of examples of companies that end up in a lot of hot water for the actions of one employee. Where, so what happens is as companies and as professionals, lawyers, uh, HR professionals, um, our reputations take time and a lot of energy to build both online and off companies very much firms the same. And it takes only one or two of those bad apples to cause a lot of PR damage, possibly legal costs, um, financial damage, loss of clients, staff turnover. Um, so unfortunately, the mistakes of an employee can become the mistakes of you. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is the reality, especially in today's world where information, you know, you can't really suppress that information. You know, I mean, there is a case, and we were going back about eight or nine years ago, many people might remember this, so the, the woman, I'll never forget her name, was Amanda Todd. Uh, she was a teenage girl in, uh, in BC, I believe, who had committed suicide after some online bullying. And there was a Facebook memorial page in, uh, in her honor. And some guy went on the memorial page and posted, I, I may get the quote slightly wrong, but essentially it was something like, thank God that bitch is dead, uh, and posted that on the Facebook memorial. Um, so not only is it a horrific thing to say, it's a stupid thing to do because you could figure out exactly who posted it. And I think it took somebody about an hour to figure out where that person worked uh, and to get in touch with the company uh, and say, this is what your employee, employee is posting online. And so 
they they took pretty quick action. I think they did the right thing in terms of a of a PR move to to say we don't tolerate that. Um, but this is happening more and more often, where people are posting things online that have nothing to do with their job, but it ends up costing them their job. Yeah, and one example in Ontario was a logistics firm, and the um, the people in question were production workers. They weren't uh, vice presidents or anything. Uh, they were production um, frontline. And five or six of them were a part of a Facebook group that was a racist group. None of them used company time or resources, but they were one of them was an admin, the other five were members, and they all six were fired. And even after that, there was still some sort of legal follow through and investigation going on. But they were fired and there were no countersuits that I ever saw anything about this was well covered in the media. So, um, again, when people see if you have an abhorrent worldview, racist, homophobic, that that comment about poor Amanda Todd, um, as employers, um, we, we can't afford to have that kind of repugnant worldview tied to our values. Exactly. So I want to come back. We were talking about remote work a little while ago, and obviously we're we're still in the, in the throes of the pandemic and the third wave so it's going to be around for a while still and then we were talking a little bit offline about some of the security risks that having people work remotely raises so i want to uh, give you a chance to talk about that before we uh we, we reach our our time limit certainly and unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures and yeah many many of us are working remotely from home our kids um, or ourselves are learning from home and we're relying on the internet more and more to socialize and make connections and that's a, that's a natural thing given the circumstances we're under unfortunately that leads to more opportunity for predatory actors scammers and fraudsters to target us speaking to working from home we aren't today behind the firewalls and the um, the high-powered, expensive, semantic firewall antivirus software tools that we get in the office environment. We are often working from our own devices without any of those protections. And because we're working remotely, we don't have as much close contact. These things make us, number one, the fraudsters and scammers know there's more opportunity because there's more volume. That's just natural. Number two, scams, the some of them are really easy to spot, but the ones that aren't, seems super plausible because we think, oh, well, they are really easy to spot. And, oh, it's not that weird for Stuart to email me on a Thursday afternoon for this document. I can't check with him readily and easily. I have deadlines. I'm going to comply and send the invoice payment in full to the vendor at Stuart's request. So we, we need to know that we have to be better, more diligent. And if we need to take time to, I always say this, trust but verify. Trust but make sure. Email Stuart, did you send me this? It might take you an hour and a half longer if he's in a meeting to get your answer but we have to be more diligent than ever. The fraudsters are, uh, there's lots of risk, malicious software, bad links, uh, and smart people are being uh, tricked all the time. One thing I do need to, if I'm doing my job today, if you make a mistake, anyone out there, don't, do not feel terribly bad about it. You're not, um, you're not gonna be blamed. It is super important that you report it ASAP because the sooner your employer gets aware, number one, that there's a scam going through, they can alert the staff. Number two, they can mitigate damage. So disclose and be upfront with your employer, they'll have your back. Yeah, that's a great point, Matt. And I've seen this play out. I mean, this is pre-COVID days, but I remember a case where one of our, my long-term clients uh, had an individual who had just fallen victim to one of these scams. It was innocent, she had no ill intent. And as she said later, it was just a stupid moment. She should have picked up on it, but she didn't. She clicked the link. Uh, but then of course she was terrified that she was gonna lose her job. So she did everything she could to cover it up. 
didn't tell our manager, didn't tell HR, and I mean, you can guess what happened, right? It just got worse and worse and worse. Uh, and eventually she had to go to HR. And, and then it, become, it became more of an issue because you know, the question was not, why did you do it? It was, why didn't you tell us about it? Um, and there was a concern about dishonesty as opposed to just a, a silly mistake. So great point. I mean, if you, if you do, if you make a mistake, just own up to it right away so it can be dealt with. Absolutely. That is sage advice. So, um, as I, and as I promised you, the time, of course, has flown by. So before I take my chance to, uh, to fire away, anything else, Matt, that you wanted to mention? Um, I would suppose uh, where I would leave everybody is I really encourage everyone to try to get past the moral and ethical debate on doing social media and open source public information checks online. It might feel strange. It still is a fairly new element. But I need to assure you that we're not doing anything immoral or unethical or risky in there as long as we aren't looking for private stuff that was intended to be kept um, from public view. And where I leave it is this. When I think to my one example, the story from the beginning with the incel, if I didn't do the search, just and I simply just felt kind of weird about it, so I'm not going to do it. Think about the possible repercussions to that employer and their business and livelihood, um, the culture of the workplace, the mental health and well-being of the staff, and even their physical safety. I did the right thing, and you can too, and you do not need to be fearful. Again, keep it to open and public information, and that is fair, and I, I really hope that we can, those of us that are on the fence can shift the paradigm in that thinking. Well, thanks, Matt. And frankly, hopefully you have been helpful in, getting, in helping me to get people to uh, just get off the fence uh, and, and realize that this is a tool that not, not only can be used, but should be used. So uh, thank you again for joining me today. And uh, that's, that's all the time we have for our discussion, but uh, I'll, I really appreciate you joining me. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me, Stuart. And I want to thank the production crew. And I do want to thank everyone that took time to join us today or, or watch this post-production. Thank you very much. Great. And now I will, uh, I'll take my chance to fire away. So I want to take this opportunity. I want to take this opportunity to follow up on season four, four episode three of fire away and, and talk some more about the use of social media in the hiring process. And I'll start by saying it's, it's 2021. And yet many people are still convinced that it is either illegal, unethical, or somehow improper to check someone's social media platforms or, or accounts before you hire them. And to say it as simply as I can, it's not. You can and you should be accessing publicly available information in order to make your decision. And if you haven't watched all of season four, episode three with Matt Richardson, I really encourage you to do that because he lays out all the reasons why you should and how you can. What, what I will say though is, you know, not only should you, but if you're not, you're basically ignoring potentially relevant information about a candidate. That's a missed opportunity. I've had some people, or I've heard some people go even further and say it's negligent. You know, if the point of going through a hiring process is to pick the best candidate, you need to review all of the available information. So why would you choose to ignore some? In, as I've mentioned a few times, season four, episode three, Matt Richardson talks about a great situation where he was tasked with, firing, uh, with hiring a candidate uh, and they had what seemed to be the ideal candidate until he found some traces online or some terminology online that suggested that this person was part of an incel group or involuntary celibate group, which are known to be uh, misogynistic at the very best and potentially violent towards women at the worst. 
And by discovering that, he was able to exclude a very a potentially very bad hire, uh, which could have exposed the organization to significant risk and liability. So we all know how, hard, how important it is to hire the best candidate. We all know the cost of a bad hire. We should be using every possible source of available information, which includes social media. I am not suggesting that you access private information or hack someone's account or anything like that but have a clear and a thorough process for reviewing the information that is available and then make sure you do it properly. And one thing that many people have heard me say before, you don't want to know any more than you have to. So if you are the one making the hiring decision, you should not be the one who's reviewing the social media because you may stumble upon information that you can't unknow, such as the fact that the candidate is trying to have kids or undergoing chemotherapy, uh, because then it's very easy for someone to make an allegation that those factors we became factors in your decision-making process, which of course would be a breach of human rights. So it's best that the decision-maker doesn't know them, but you can hire someone either internally or externally to do the search, filter out all of the irrelevant information, give you the relevant information, and allow you to make a decision that is based upon everything you should be aware of. So that's, uh, and we can get into more detail and happy to talk to people about the best process for doing that. But what my message today is, you've got to start using all the available information when you're hiring. And that includes using social media, but using it cautiously. So that's, uh, that's all I wanted to say for today. And that's, uh, excuse me, that's all the time we have for season four, episode three of Fire Away. So I want to, first of all, thank everyone for tuning in and thank Matt Richardson in particular for joining me. Uh, I want to remind everyone as well that one of our goals at Rudner Law is to help people make informed decisions and treat their employment relationships as legal relationships. So I invite you to keep up to date on employment law issues by following our social media, by signing up for our newsletter. And although I wish it wasn't necessary anymore, I really encourage you to keep up to date on COVID related workplace issues by checking out our COVID-19 resource page on our website. Um, but as I always say, none of this replaces customized legal advice that's tailored to your specific situation. So if you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do feel free to reach out to us. Our next episode is May 18th. Uh, stay tuned and we'll give you more information on who and what we'll be discussing. If you have any questions, you can always reach us at info at Past episodes can be found on YouTube uh, as well as on our website. And last but certainly not least, thank you to Rob, thank you to Rebecca and to Mark for helping to put the, the show together. Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.